And I was also tired of going to meetings where I had an opinion or someone else had an opinion as a physician on how the business was going. And you were literally told, you know, like, hey, you know, just take your stethoscope and go back to the clinic. Go do what you really know how to do. Welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm Dr. Jen Barnett, and I hope you're doing well today. We're so excited that you're here with us for today's podcast because we have a guest that I'm very excited to bring to you, Dr. Iwoma Imanuga. Dr. Imanuga is the medical director at Chase Brexton Healthcare Randallstown, where she provides clinical leadership, supervisory, and management oversight to clinical providers and their teams while providing direct patient care. She's also on the faculty of the Residency Fellowship in Health Policy at George Washington University, where she teaches the basics of health economics and the business of medicine to physicians. She is passionate about designing healthcare systems that address the triple bottom line of healthcare productivity, patient experience, and provider satisfaction, and is currently in the process of building a consortium of like-minded individuals and entities who have shared purpose of building healthcare systems that work for everyone. She received her residency training at Howard University Hospital in Washington, D.C., her medical education at the University of Nigeria, and her MPH and MBA at University of London and University of Maryland, respectively. Dr. Imanuga, welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm really excited to hear about your story, which spans multiple countries and continents. So please, can you just start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and how your journey has brought you to where you are today? Hi, good morning, Jen, and thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I am a mom of four, which I've always considered my primary responsibility. And with that, I'm a physician. I've been a physician for about 23 years. I currently work as a medical director of an outpatient clinic. I teach health economics as part of the residency fellowship for health policy at GW, which is something else I really enjoy doing. And just recently, I started to build a partnership with an entity we call vHealth, which is looking and trying to support healthcare organizations to provide healthcare that really works for everyone. I think in a nutshell, that's everything that I do. There are little bits and pieces and I could probably go on forever, but that's what I do on a daily basis. Terrific. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey as a physician? And I know when you and I had talked previously, you mentioned that you've really got a global perspective from having worked in multiple countries. And I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about that experience and how it ultimately led you to where you are now. Sure, absolutely. So when I left medical school and started to work as a physician, I think I had everybody's general traditional view. I'm going to be a doctor, take my coat and my stethoscope, go to the hospital. But I also knew I wanted to have a family. And I got married just literally out of medical school. And within the first couple of years, we started to have our children. And our children were born like every other year. So for a period of like six years, I was always either pregnant, just had a baby, going to be pregnant again, nursing a baby. I always had a baby around me or something or the other. And so early on, I started my career in clinical medicine, a little bit of inpatient and then in outpatient. But it was very clear to me at that point that if I was working nights and weekends and those kind of shifts, I couldn't raise my kids. And I really did want to raise my children myself. 
And to some extent, you know, it's a little, I'm not sure what the word is, maybe conceited or arrogant, but, you know, you have your children and I really wanted them to be mine. One of my kids actually said to me once, he described parenting as systematic brainwashing. And I wanted to systematically brainwash my own children by myself. And so that led me to the different things that I've done. So everything I've done in my career, in my choices, in my jobs has always, I say this all the time, has always been built around the mom that I thought I wanted to be or the mom that I felt I needed to be at that point in time for my children. And so very early it was clear to me that if I was going to be able to systematically brainwash the kids, I had to be available to do that. And that's why early in my career, I moved on. I don't know whether to call it moved on or moved out to public health. And it's interesting. Something I found is that no matter how much you volunteer, no matter how much experience you think you have in certain areas or competency you have, people like degrees. And lots of people didn't take me that seriously because I was trying to work in public health and I didn't have an MPH. So by this time, I had my four kids, I rounded them up took them to the UK with me and went to do an MPH at the London School. And it was kind of crazy, to put it mildly, because at that point, my fourth was a baby. And so I had four kids, including a little baby. And from there, I went in and started working in public health. And I won't even bore you with the details of all the escapades we got into in London, just trying to get through an MPH and everything. Before you get too much further, let me back up and just delve in for a second on some of the things you've said. Okay. Okay. You mentioned that first, when you finished your physician training, Mm -hmm. you had your four kids. Was that during a residency program or how did that fall in terms of what you were doing at the time you actually had the kids for one question? Mm -hmm. And just as an aside, it reminds me of a podcast guest we had toward the beginning, one of our earlier podcasts, Miriam Michael, who also has four kids. And she said when she was a resident, she was, she described it very similar to how you did. She said, I was, you know, pregnant multiple times. And she said, finally, the chair called her into his office and he said, what are you doing? Like other people are starting to get pregnant. (laughs) This is contagious. And she said that she told him, have you seen my husband? If you saw him, you'd be pregnant too. (laughs) I just loved her attitude. So she similarly raised four successful kids. So I'm very curious about your perspective because you had your children at -hmm. that time. I I had my kids in medical school too. So I'm really curious about your story. And I love your description (laughs) as a parent, brainwashing your children in the way that you want it to be done. That was my son's description. I did not think that (laughs) that was what it was, but that's what he called it. That's so funny. Okay. So you wanted to do that yourself. And I understand that very, very viscerally. (laughs) So tell me about your experience during those six years when you were having the four kids, what were you doing during that time? And when you went to London, how did you manage that? Did you have someone with you who helped you? Did you get someone when you got there who could help you? Because, you know, with four young kids, how did you manage to go through a degree program and do everything you needed to do? So to answer your first question, I was not in a residency program. I was working as a general practitioner. And so, you know, outside the United States, probably not everywhere, but in many developing countries, I'm originally from Nigeria, even though we lived in Abidjan, in Cote d'Ivoire, when our kids were younger. And so you can work as a physician in many other countries, even without a residency, but you will work as a general practitioner. So the difference between a general practitioner and an internist, which is what I am today, is basically you haven't gone through a rigorous residency training program, but you're a GP. 
which is probably better known in the United Kingdom. So that's what I did. So I wasn't in a residency program. Thank God. I don't think knowing myself, my temperament and my constitution that I could have been able to have four children through residency. I don't think so. I really don't. So I was able to not have to do that. My heart goes out to people who do it because I think it's very hard. It must Um, be difficult as a practicing physician too, which is what you were. It is. But you know, the thing that I learned, and I've also said to people who are maybe younger than me or coming up is you make your choices. You know, when I was younger, I used to say, I'm going to eat my cake and have it and keep it and ice it. You know, I'm going to have it all. The truth is you cannot really have it all, except if you're willing to have it in stages. And so at that point, many of the jobs that I did, I barely made a dime. There are times when over the years, and this is not even just that period, over the years, my pay at work has been only enough to pay for help to enable me hold on to some vestige of a job. At that time, for the first few years, my outpatient job then, I was only paid when I turned up to work. So think about that. I mean, it gave me the flexibility because if they realized they didn't have to pay me, I just wanted to stay on the payroll. If they realized they didn't have to pay me if I didn't turn up, they didn't have to make me turn up. So I had the most flexible schedule ever. I did what I could do. I stayed home when I wanted to stay home. I barely made any money, like I said. But the important thing is that I stayed a doctor. I was on the payroll. And I always tell people we belong to a profession that is not very forgiving of time away. If I had said, I want to go raise my kids for 10 years and come back, no one would ever have hired me. I'd have been stuck as a stay-at-home mom. Not as though it's a bad thing. I just didn't want to be a stay-at-home mom. But you can't easily slip in and out of medicine. You have to hold on to something. And that's what I was able to do then. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a great point, which is that it really is almost impossible to step completely away if you want to come back in medicine, or at least that's my experience. And that's what I've observed among other physicians. So that's a great point. And so when you went to London, how did you manage with four kids under six, right? Yes. So at the time that I was going to leave for the UK, we no longer lived in Abidjan. At this time, we lived in Tunisia. So I went to the British embassy in Tunis to say, I need a visa to live in the UK for a year with my four children and a nanny. I was going to take a nanny with me. And they said, what are you going to do in the UK? I said, I'm going to study. It's a student visa I'm asking for. And I remember the lady looking at me like I was crazy. Without a smile on her face, she said, I have never seen a person going to graduate school with four children. I didn't say anything. It wasn't a question. It was a statement. So I just sat and waited for my visa. And I got my visa and I got one for my nanny and we went. And even though I had a nanny with me, it wasn't easy, but at least it was doable. But I remember the first week, just as an aside, we were at, you know, these gatherings where the graduate students get together and you chat and all that. So I was talking with another young lady and she said to me, she lowered her voice and she said, do you know, there's this girl in the school that has four children. She came here to the London school with her four children. And I wasn't sure whether to say something or not. And so eventually I said, "Um, that would be me. And she was so embarrassed. And I said, it's okay. But, you know, people remembered my four children. And I'll tell you, unfortunately, I actually, in those first few weeks, I got called into, I think it was the admin office. And they said to me, we did not know when we admitted you to the London school that you had four children. We think that you should convert to part-time and do your MPH over a longer period of time because this used to be a two-year program and it's really, really busy. 
we made it one year because we attract mid-level professionals and most of them aren't able to give up two years of their life. And so we made it really stringent. We don't think you can cope. And I started crying. I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because I was livid. I was so angry. I thought to myself, you don't get to tell me what I can and cannot do. And I said, secondly, I do not have two years of my life to stay in London. I'm doing it full time. And I left her office and I never went back. But they did me a favor in calling me into the office because when she said that, that made me decide I was going to be the best graduate student they had ever seen who got through the program with her four children. And I did. And so, like I said, I'm not going to bore you with the details, but, you know, it was an escapade. And we all got the MPH. Now all my four children have a master's in public health, but we did it. And I bet your four children are all very academically oriented as well, just from having that example from such an early age. I got married right out of med school. So almost everything I've done as an adult, I did with these kids. And I've yanked them around to everything. They've seen me study. They've seen me, oh my gosh, I can't do the math. Someone help me with my homework. They've seen me do all these things. So they've seen me. And I say to people all the time, I raised my kids, but I feel almost as though they raised me as well. And so we've raised each other and, you know, they've supported. They've watched mom do all sorts of things. Yeah, I think that sets a wonderful example for them. I really do. I feel the same way about raising my kids and vice versa, (laughs) who were born in medical school. And, you know, similarly in preschool, they would sit there with me with a big stack of books and I would have my stack of books and we would sit there for hours and I think they learned a lot about believing in yourself and doing whatever you set your mind to do. So I am very impressed, of course, that you did that. That's incredible. And I'm sure it served you and your children really well, ultimately. Okay, so from London, you went where next? Went back to Tunisia. So I was only there so that I could get my MPH and at least have people in the marketplace take me seriously when I said, I want to work in public health. You know, and it's so funny because I had barely left the London school and The first assignment I applied to do as a consultant was for a program that was being managed by the British Department for International Development. And I'm thinking, here I was trying to convince people just a couple of years ago that I can do this. I know what to do. But now I have these alphabets next to my name. Now I have a job. So they hired me right off and I started to work. I went straight to work in public health. And that was amazing because it gave me exactly what I wanted. It gave me a nine to five job that was still within healthcare. And it gave me the opportunity to continue to parent my children. It was also during that period that my youngest, so our fourth child, my youngest child has autism. And she was diagnosed around the time that I worked in public health. I am so thankful to God that it was around that time because it gave me time to settle down and understand what was going on. And I'm not you know, going to go into the details of autism and how you know, but many of us as parents of kids with autism, you're in denial for a while because I hadn't seen a child with autism until my own child was diagnosed. I'd read it in the textbooks, I'd studied it in pediatrics, I knew what it was technically, but that's all. But working in public health, not being in clinical medicine, gave me the time I needed to give her the attention she needed early on. And it also gave me the opportunity to go back to my boss and say, I need to step down on my hours, I'd like to work part-time in order to give time to my daughter. And initially they said to me the position, because I had transitioned from being a consultant, by that time I was working full-time as a program manager. And so I was a national technical program manager for the program. So it was busy. And when I said I wanted to work part-time, they said that position doesn't exist part-time. So I said, well, in that case, I'm going to resign. And they said, no, don't resign. We'll figure out something. And they came back to me and said, you can work part-time. And I'm grateful to them for doing that because I was younger, less experienced at the time. Now I tell people, take resignation off the table. 
do not resign. Fight for a part-time position. Fight for whatever it is that you can put in and stay. But at the time that I said, I'm going to resign, I was serious, but they didn't let me, thank God. And so I went ahead and started. But you know, the other thing I learned from that, and I also say this to people is, also be very careful when you ask for a part-time position, because I had a large portfolio of programs I was managing. That portfolio was not halved. My time in the office was halved. My salary was halved. My responsibilities stayed the same. So they got everything they could from me for half the pay. I just took the rest of my work home. And so I'm still thankful that I had the opportunity or else what would I have done had I been at home? But I still say to people, be very careful when you go to offer part-time. Make sure it's really part-time. It's not part pay for a full-time job. Yeah, excellent points. And also a terrific point that it is possible to craft something that allows you to balance everything that you can successfully cut your hours back if you choose to or need to. And you're a great example of that. So that worked for a while. And it sounds like you made the best of a difficult situation and took care of your family in the way that you saw that they needed you most. So did you go from there to the United States? What made you decide to make that transition? So that was all built around my younger daughter. So she, unlike some kids with autism, do really get better. And people use the word recovery. You know, I just didn't have one of those kids. So we put everything we could all the programs, all the research, whatever we thought we could find. I brought her to the US. We saw a speech pathologist. We went back with the programs. I did everything and anything that someone said would help a child with autism. I remember saying to one of her physicians once, look, I'll do anything as long as it doesn't hurt my daughter. If you tell me to turn her upside down and shake her three times a day, I will do it. That's exactly what I said to the physician. I was willing to do anything, but she just, she didn't recover. She didn't get better. And at that point, it was clear to us that all paths did lead to the United States. And so we made the jump. Thinking about it still makes me slightly emotional because I didn't know I would be here today. We came for two years. I said, I'm going to make available to her everything that people say is available. ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis, 40 hours a week. At the point, we had six therapists round the clock working with her, anything and everything. And so we moved over here. We all came, my husband, myself, uh, four kids. I always say we came with two suitcases and one carry-on luggage each. That was it. We came for two years, but she didn't get better. And then, you know, as we got into the second year, it became clear to me, she's not getting better. She still does have access to the best services that we can get anywhere in the world. So we do need to stay. And these two years, I wasn't working. So I had gone back to being a full-time stay-at-home mom because it was only supposed to be two years. I knew I could do it for two years and then go back. But when it became clear that we were going to have to stay, then I had to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? And at that point, I realized we're going to have to stay in the United States. I'm going to have to be able to work in the United States. I'm a physician. There's a fixed path for becoming a physician in the U.S. You're going to take the USMLE exams. You're going to apply for residency. And that's what I did. And then my kids once again acquired another degree we all went through residency. And that's when I got a taste of what it really was. And that's why till this day, I still say my heart goes out to any physician who's having kids in medical school, going through residency, even trying to hold on to a full-time job. My understanding is there was a time, and I don't know how long ago this was, where residency was actually flexible enough, where they gave one position to two women. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but I don't know who told me this. 
if I had had that option, I'd have taken that. I would have happily taken a six-year residency and done it at half pace, but that option think, wasn't available. I think that type of option can be negotiated with certain programs that are willing to negotiate that with you. I'm not aware of it being a set program that you know is fixed, but I think it's a possibility if someone were to creatively you know, partner up with someone and the two of them present themselves as a mix. I know that definitely can work for full-time positions if you wanted to essentially partner with someone and present yourself as a full-time position that you would split between yourselves. You know, you'd split the hours and the vacation, however it works for the two of you. Of course, finding the right person to do that with would be the difficult part, but I think that does exist. I think that's a really great possibility too, if you know someone, especially that you really trust that you could work with and a program and or job that's willing. But I think in the private sector, especially, and perhaps in academics as well, I think once you're out working, it's definitely a possibility. I think so. I think probably with working, less with training. Yeah. So you went through the rigorous residency program and then beyond that, you decided to get an MBA as well. And then you've been teaching, you've been on faculty in addition to practicing medicine as an internist since that time, or are you doing public health type of work? How do you fit it all together now that you have everything? I wish I had everything, but... um... (laughs) (laughs) I still have done things in pieces. I don't always do everything at the same time. And so when I finished residency and stayed back as chief resident and then eventually joined the faculty as associate program director, I stayed in academia because academia is one of those places where you get a little bit of everything. I love to teach as long as it's something I enjoy. And so I got to teach medical students. I got to train residents. And by this time, I was already teaching health economics at the GW program, which is called the Residency Fellowship in Health Policy. I've been doing that for about nine years. I started that, I want to say my final year of residency, I think. And so that I did while I stayed in academia. The reason I eventually left academia was this was a point, again, you remember I said at the start, I've built my life around the mom I needed to be. And so at the time where our oldest son was now getting ready to start college applications. Now, remember, I did not school in the United States. I didn't know what the high school, college, everything was. The stories I'd heard from people were horror stories, which is very unfortunate because it wasn't as bad as they told me. But because I was so scared, I said, I need to be available. I need to be there. And so I resigned. I left the university and then I went back to public health. Again, you know, I think public health has been like a comfort place for me because I know it well. I understand it. I also know it's a nine to five job. I'm not going to do nights. I'm not going to do weekends. And so I went to work for the health department in Baltimore City. And that was very rewarding in many ways. It gave me, of course, the schedule I wanted, the flexibility to be able to be there as our oldest started to navigate his way into the college application process. But having known what I knew at that time, I also knew I couldn't afford to leave clinical medicine completely or else I'd never be able to find my way back. And so one of the things that the health department was able to agree to was to give me the last day of the week off so that I could go work clinically. As I worked for the health department, I did those two things, kept my day job and kept some clinical medicine. I only did that, that one day a week. Sometimes it would be Friday into Saturday or just a Saturday or just Friday evening shift, whatever shift it was, I just needed to keep my hands on patients. And so that's what I did until we got through my older son's college, my younger son's college. By this time, I felt like a pro. I used to say to the kids, you know, 
we should open our own college application agency. We can do this. But, you know, that gave me the flexibility to be able to go back to what I now do, which is I'm back in outpatient medicine. I have a little more time on my hands. We've gone through one, two, and three in college now. And so I have my hands around that, but I want to stay clinical for a number of reasons. One, I don't want to give up, you know, my physician career. I love it. But then I really like bedside medicine. I like to be able to look at a patient, look them in the eyes, give them an answer, reach people. There's just something about bedside medicine, you know, that I really appreciate. And I don't ever want to give that up. And you mentioned that you also have an interest in entrepreneurship, which I think also plays into something that you're working on currently that you're just launching. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I can. So with everything we've talked about, you can see I want to be a mom. I really, really want to continue to be a mom. I really, really want to be a physician. And over the years, I've seen how difficult it's been to stay in and out and try to figure out the balance. And so at the point at which I am now, after what, 23 years and counting, I look back and I look at women who are who I used to be. And I realize we need to do a better job of making this profession amenable to people staying. 2020 made people, someone referred to it as the great resignation. I know the proportion of people who either left or are considering leaving healthcare is a lot. And let me step back a little bit. So towards the time when I was transitioning from academia to public health, and then of course, eventually back to clinical medicine, I started to think about the business of medicine. I started to think about how frustrated I was trying to hold on to a clinical job and how hard it was just to do that and be a mom. And I was also tired of going to meetings where I had an opinion or someone else had an opinion as a physician on how the business was going. And you were literally told, you know, like, hey, you know, just take your stethoscope and go back to the clinic. Go do what you really know how to do. I wanted to know what it was they thought they knew and I didn't know. And that's why I applied to business school. And when I went into business school, I went with the plan of, I've had enough of this. I'm not taking any more of this medicine. I can't do this anymore. I'll just do what I can. And I'm going to find for myself an exit strategy. Halfway through, I realized that was not what I wanted. I love being a physician. I'm not going to get crowded out of medicine. I'm not giving this up to someone else. I will not abdicate my responsibility. This is my profession. And so the more I studied it, the more I learned, and I didn't do a healthcare MBA, which is what most physicians do when they go to business school. I just did a regular financial MBA. So my classmates were not physicians at all. I did not go to an MBA that was being dumbed down for the healthcare professionals. The people I was studying with were intimidating me every single day, but I had to step up to the plate and learn. And so I did a regular MBA and I got to learn from all these people in other industries that were making it work. And every day I said to myself, we can do that. I'm sure medicine can do that. And so by the time I finished, I said to myself, we're going to make this work. We're going to make a healthcare environment that works for everyone, not just the patient. We always talk about, oh, it's the patient. I agree. The patient is important, but the provider is important too. And it's not just run the organization into the ground just because we want to make the patient and the provider happy. No, the business has to stay afloat. So I want to be able to stand in that space. I've always said to people, I kind of consider myself like a physician whisperer when it comes to the business of medicine, because I feel like I understand it. I feel like I've invested enough time to see the different parts. I've seen it at a system level. I've seen it at organization level. I've seen it as a patient to provider level. And so what we're doing with vHealth is we're trying to build a partnership of people who believe that healthcare can work for everyone, for the mom who wants to be a mom, even for the person who doesn't want to be a mom, but wants to have a regular life 
with other things doing. We can make this work. And we can do that while still making a profit. We can do that while still giving patients an experience they appreciate. Because right now, this cookie cutter type of practice that we see in many places, we think it's profitable. It's lose-lose. The patients aren't happy. They're really not. Neither are the providers, but we can do better. And that's what we're trying to find. That's what vHealth is set up to do. I love that. We will link in the show notes to the ways that people can reach you to find out more. I think it's a wonderful mission that you're on and everything you've done up until now makes sense for what you're doing going forward. Has it all been worth it? Oh, it has. It so has. I don't know if you read it. I think it might've been online. There was an essay, a Dr. Charles Black, I believe is his name, a surgeon wrote called Medicine is Worth the Sacrifice as Long as You Don't Sacrifice Yourself. It was very interesting. And I think back and I realize I didn't sacrifice myself. I did sacrifice some aspects of my career. I did sacrifice some money I could have made, maybe some investments, but ultimately I didn't sacrifice myself. I found myself. I was able to build who I am today be happy with who I turned out to be, it was absolutely worth it. Dr. Iwoma Imanuga, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I love what you're doing. I appreciate your time so very much and look forward to talking with you again. Absolutely. Thank you, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. As a busy physician, you're managing a lot. A lot of people depend on you, your patients, your colleagues and staff, your family. To get up every day and do all of the things that you do is an accomplishment. But when is the last time you stopped and thought about, where am I going with this? What would I like to see for myself in one year, in five years, in 10 years? What if you had a group of experienced coaches and a community of physicians there to support you, to help you figure out what matters to you, not just at this point in your life, but going forward this year, next year, indefinitely. What if you had that support to help you find the way to integrate what matters to you in your career with what matters to you outside of work? I'm Amanda Taran, producer of Doc Working, the Whole Physician podcast. Thank you for being here. Please check us out at docworking.com and please don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you for listening.